This episode of the Detox Podcast is brought to you by Rebel Riot Printing. Celebrating their 10th year in business, Rebel Riot is locally owned and family operated, offering custom printed tees with no minimums and fast turnaround. And by Bitsbox. Bitsbox teaches kids to code. Real JavaScript, real devices, and really fun. Hands down the most fun way for curious kids ages 6 to 14 to learn coding. Use promo code DETOX for $20 off any subscription order of $50 or more. That's D-T-A-L-K-S DETOX for $20 off any order of $50 or more with BitsBox. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a podcast for dads where this dad talks about life, kids, and stuff. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, I have got a body slam of an episode, a power bomb of an episode, a figure four leg lock of an episode. Yes, that's right. Our episode is centered around professional wrestling, and I have got one of the most knowingest men in professional wrestling in history, Mr. Eric Bischoff. You may remember him as the one of the faces of the NWO faction in World Championship Wrestling back in the day. Uh, he was he ran WCW in the 90s, and he also worked for World Wrestling Federation and then later World Wrestling Entertainment in the 2000s, later going on to work for Total Nonstop Action Wrestling. Uh, he is currently the co-host of the popular wrestling podcast, 83 Weeks. And we are so lucky to have him on the show today. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this wonderful episode where we talked about fatherhood, wrestling, and a bunch of other great stuff. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time is Easy e He is the former president of World Championship Wrestling and is somebody that I used to watch as a kid, and that sounds a lot creepier than I intended it to, but Mr. Eric Bischoff. Eric, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great. It's great to be here, and don't worry about it. I hear that kind of thing all the time, 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds, so I'm getting used to it. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> well, we thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us, and uh, we're going to get started. We've got a lot of great topics to cover, and I'm excited to dive in. Uh, first thing I want to point out, though, is uh, <laughs> I... Uh, you know, just for listeners, uh, I'm recovering from a little bit of a cold. So if you hear me uh, sniffle every now and then, that's what's going on. But uh, it's interesting for me because back in 1998, so we're 20 years removed from Starcade 98, that was the one and only pay-per-view I convinced my parents to buy for me. And it was because on Christmas Eve morning, I broke out with the chicken pox, was quarantined from my entire family. And my parents felt bad and said, you can have anything in the world you want, anything at all. And I said, really? You sure? Uh, then I got to see Goldberg take on Kevin Nash. That is, uh, that is my go-to and it was, uh, yeah, surprise ending for me, but made it well worthwhile. So, uh, I just, yeah, that's, it brings me back. And I know on your show, 83 weeks, for those that don't listen, you guys are going through the different Starcades. So I am, uh, I believe you guys are covering uh, Starcade 98 coming up. Is that correct? Yes, it is. And as a matter of fact, I just got done watching it <laughs> uh, on, on a, I do a watch along on my Patreon channel. And I did a, I, I did a watch along and watch the entire pay-per-view because I hadn't seen it since I did it. Gotcha. I, I don't go back and look at things. I don't have a library of old, you know, pay-per-views that I've right. done before and things like that. So no, it was the first time I'd seen it since I've done it. And it was, I, I just finished watching it like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Good timing. I tell you, uh, spoiler alert for those that haven't watched, uh, in the end, when, when Goldberg gets, uh, like tased by Scott Hall, I remember watching it going, I don't know what's happening. I have no idea what's happening. He's not supposed to lose. What's happening? What's happening? And it was, uh, yeah, it was crazy for me then. And it's still crazy. Like that is still the defining moment I think about when I think about that show. But uh, okay. So one of the questions I want to start us out with, I just had to get that anecdotal note out of the way. What do you think makes a good dad? Boy, there's no one, there's no one element. I think it's, it's so many things, but I think it starts 
I, I don't think you can be a good dad um, if your kids don't trust you. Sure. First and foremost, you, in order for, for, I think, kids to learn and to understand and want to emulate um, the good things about us right. and not the bad things, <laughs> yeah. um, they have to respect you. And they won't learn respect for others if they can't learn respect from their parents. Right. So I think, you know, respect and trust, I think, go hand in hand. It's so critical. Um, but I think you also, you know, for, I, can, I can only speak for myself. Sure. I don't try to figure out other things for other people. I know what made me a pretty good dad and probably still does is my kids could always trust me from the day they were born whether they agreed with me or not, they believed deep down inside that my decision was based on what I thought was best for everyone. Right. <clears throat> and it starts with that. I, I made a lot of time for my kids for the little things. I'm not talking about the big things, although, you know, I tried to be there for the big things too, but that wasn't always easy, but the value was in being there for the little things. Right. And a little thing can just be a one-on-one -on -one conversation. You know, we had two kids, our son Garrett was a year and a half older or so than than our than our daughter Montana, but I would have different types of separate conversations with both of my kids, and because they're different, right. and you have to talk to them differently. But I think time and trust and and respect are, I think that's the trifecta. Yes. Absolutely. It's, I have, uh, I have two kids. I have a daughter who's about to turn four and a son that's one and a half. And, uh, it, you know, even, even at just that little age, uh, being there for them and being able to interact with them differently. It's, it's so crazy to me being a newer dad, how much you have to, to show that you're there for them, little things, conversation, and just them having that trust that you'll be there goes a long way. And it's, and to your point, they're totally different people and it, you have to interact with them on a, on a different level. And I'm learning that more and more each day as we go along. How, how, how old are you? I am 31. Okay. So you're, you're, from my perspective, you're, you're just barely an adult. Yes. Because <laughs> um, I don't think, you know, especially guys, I don't think guys mature till they're in their mid to late twenties. True. You know, then you, then you kind of, you know, women are different. You right. Know, women mature much earlier than boys on every level, emotionally, mentally, um, I think um, one of the things that I, I I remember when I was your age, in fact, I was just a little younger than you when, when we had our first child. I think it was 29. Um, but immediately, like, you know, as soon as we brought Garrett home and I could hold him and I got past that first, you know, oh, my God, I'm afraid to touch him. Right. <laughs> yeah. Once you get through that, um, then it's like I'd, I'd lay it on the couch at night and I'd put Garrett like on my chest yeah. while, while I was laying there watching television and I was just like, Oh my God, this is the best thing in the world. Yep. And Oh, you know, in six months he won't want to do this anymore. Of course, in six months he loved it even more. Right. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> you know, six months later I'm thinking to myself, Oh, this is the best time. This is absolutely the best time in a, in a young child's life. Until about six months after that, I go, no, no, no. I thought it was six months, but it's really a year. So through my entire, you know, almost at every moment with my kids, I, I was fearful that I'm never going to have this connection to my kid because as my kid gets older, they'll grow more distant from me. That right. was how I looked at it. And what I would know now at 63 years old with two kids that are really happy, well-adjusted and, and good people um, – I can say that the things I remember are the smallest, littlest things that stand out when I think about, oh, what was my relationship with like my daughter? What, what things did I do with my daughter? Right. I mean, I know I took her to the father-daughter dances and, and, you know, she was a cheerleader and we went to her, you know, high school football games to watch her cheer. Well, I, all of those things that I consider, you know, the bigger things in a week, I guess. But it's the little things that stand out the most that I still remember to this day. So those are the ones I <clears throat> encourage you to value. I will absolutely. One of the things I enjoy greatly about doing this show is getting to talk to various different dads in in, in different stages of their uh, fatherhood and their kids' age. And, and that is the consistent message I have been given from from uh, dads that have older children. And it's something that it's, it's so easy to say, like, yeah, I'll do it. But man, when you're in the moment, 
it's so easy to let yourself slip away and, and think like, oh, you know, uh, they'll be there tomorrow or uh, it's okay if I'm not, uh, don't, don't do bedtime tonight or it's okay if I don't do this. But it then, I mean, I look up, my daughter is almost four years old and I go, I don't know where the time went already. And, and it's, it's something that you, and it just, yeah. and it just goes by even faster right. and faster and faster. The older they get, the, you know, it's just like you, you know, time, when I was, you know, 12 years old, it seemed like a year took four years. Right. Now, now a year goes by in about 47 minutes. Yep. You know, it's, it, it just happens. But here's the other thing that I think we're challenged with as, you know, new parents or even, you know, older parents is that in our world now, you know, we've got our smartphones, we are at least one, some people I know carry two. Um, you've got all this, you know, data coming at you and information coming at you and, and our lifestyle and our work, you know, requires oftentimes that we're juggling all of this information. Right. Sometimes you don't have that. And if you work in a, in a construction job, you may not have that. But when the minute you get off work, you know, what are you doing? You know, you're on your smartphones. And it's so easy, I think, to get caught up and you do you don't even know you're doing it until it's too late yep but it's so easy to get caught up in your day-to-day you know i call it you know control chaos and not realize that oh man i missed that opportunity to bring my daughter her lunch right oh i missed that opportunity to just swing by and wave while she's practicing out on the out on the field right. just the little stuff you get caught up in your stuff and that's, you know, that's what I think we got to watch out for. It's just, it's just so easy. Yep. It's, it's something that I've picked up on a lot recently uh, with my kids where, I mean, you know, with doing the stuff for the podcast and everything, anytime I'm on my phone, I'm sending an email or I'm doing a post or I'm, you know, I'm doing something for that. And I know it's productive, but my kids only see me buried in my phone. And so it was a real wake up call when I set my phone down and my son, who's one and a half brought it to me as like, no, this is, this belongs in your hand. This is supposed to be in your hand. And I went, what am I doing? So I made a real concerted effort over the last several months to say, all right, when I'm home, turn my phone off or not, I don't turn my phone off, but I like put it down and I've got my watch, which is a smartwatch. It syncs to it. And so I'm like, if something really important comes up, I'll know about it. But other than that, I need to be right here and be present. And I think that's the the key is a lot of people, it's easy to not to be there, but not be present. And I think that is something that it's so easy to get sucked into, but you gotta, you gotta be mindful of that as, as parents and, and that. You know, I mean, we hear that a lot, you know, I've been hearing my wife <clears throat> who, you know, loved reading, you know, Eckhart Tolle when she, she was in her teens, you right. know what I mean? She, my, my wife is a very enlightened, progressive thinking person. And, and I like to think I am, I just don't know as much as she does. So sure. I, I kind of follow her lead yeah. a little bit, <laughs> but we all, we all hear that, um, that phrase, you know, be in the moment, be in the moment, be in the moment. It's kind of like, Get in shape, get in shape, get in shape. What does it mean? Right. You know, getting getting in shape for a professional athlete is one thing. Getting in shape if you're a 50 year old, you know, woman is something else. Right. You know, it's relative. And and I think when we hear phrases like "be in the moment," sometimes we hear them so often we don't really know what it means. It means different things to different people. But I think when you really, if you just take the time to think about being in the moment for a moment. it really is a shift. It's a real honest to goodness, almost like meditational shift. Mm-hmm. You have to really think about it because it's hard to let go. It's hard to let go. Oh, okay. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to watch this with my son or my daughter and I'm going to interact. But as soon as this is done, I got to go make a phone call. That's not in the moment. Right. You're just going through the motions of it. Being in to me, this is just on me. Um, to me, being in the moment is when you're not thinking about anything else other than what's in front of you and what's important to you. Right. Yes. And you're not thinking about anything else, not when it's going to be over, what you need to do next, you know, <laughs> nothing. Yeah. It's just that. And it's harder to do than you would think. It's harder. It was hard for me to do. It still is from time to time. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of an art unto itself or a yeah. discipline. Absolutely. I think it's something that in the same way you have to have mindful meditation, you know, you can't just be like, I'm going to meditate now, but really kind of close out every external factor and really focus on 
how you feel in this moment. I think a lot of that holds true with being present. It's like, I'm not thinking about there's dishes I got to do. I'm not thinking about, you know, I'm going to be late to work. I'm not thinking about this. I'm just focused on the fact that the kids are right in front of me and I'm reading them a story or we're playing or whatever. We're having time together and I'm totally, my thoughts are totally absent other than what I'm interacting with them about. And I think that that's exactly it. I think you hit the nail on the head right there. Yeah, I mean, think about this just for an exercise. <clears throat> just a little. Sure. Um, um, an attempt at least to visualize something. Try to imagine what, if you're a kid, if you're five years old and you're not, a, you don't know what, you know, being in the moment means. You're just right. a kid, right? Looking for that trust, love, connection with a parent. And imagine from a child's perspective, looking into the parent's eyes, or let's say the child's eight years old, mm -hmm. 10 years old. Sometimes that's even harder. If you're eight or 10 years old and you want to spend some time with mom or dad and, and you're looking at them, imagine if they saw the same thing that you see as an adult when you're being introduced to someone or when you're in a group of people that you don't normally or, or wouldn't normally want to be around, but for work purposes or business or whatever it is, you're, you're in a group of people that you're interacting with. You've had that feeling. I'm sure I know I have yep. when I'm talking to someone who really is not really interested in talking to me, to be honest, but they want to be polite. They don't want to be rude, right. but they got other things they do or other people they want to get to that type of thing. And that's all cool. That's human nature. But you know it when you see it as an adult. You yep. know you're talking to someone that really doesn't really want to engage with you but is trying to pretend they are. Right. And that makes you – as an adult, that makes you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Right? Yep. And you know what that is. Now imagine you're 8 or you're 10 years old and you're mm. talking to your parent and they have that same look on their face because they're not really listening to you but they're kind of thinking about something else. Right. And you get that same kind of distant look. Yeah, the head's bobbing. There's a smile. They're saying the right things, but they don't really want to be here. They want to be somewhere else. Yeah. So it's a very, now imagine that's your parent. Oof. <laughs> yeah, that's that'd be kind of that'd be kind of hurtful. Yeah, it's gut wrenching because you think about it, and it's like that feeling doesn't feel good as you know an adult and trying to talk to someone else, but it feels. Uh, oh, I just think about how I would feel as a kid talking to my parents and and getting that response back or you know, or when I have gotten that response back and, and just, it's devastating and you can see it. I mean, I know that there's been times where I've done that to my daughter and I can just see, see that look cross her face. And that's, you know, that's the time where I've been like, what am I doing? I need to stop and ask her again, what was she saying? And really listen to her, interact with her, make her feel valued and special because she is. And I don't want her to think that specific way about me. I only want her to feel like she can trust me. She can share that with me. Exactly. Exactly what you said. A hundred percent. Damn, we're smart. Yep. We've solved parenting, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> We've solved yeah, give it. Give us Done. a call. Right. <laughs> Live sessions at $200 an hour. Right, right. Exactly. On, on Skype. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, one 900. No. Um, <laughs> um, uh, awesome. One, one question I had for you about, uh, your son, Garrett. So uh, your son, Garrett, became a professional wrestler, correct? Correct. Okay. So uh, I want you to talk us through a little bit about your son, Garrett's journey into wrestling. Was this something that you always wanted for him? Or was it a case of, well, now you're in it. Let me help you the best I can. We speak to a lot of people like musicians um, uh, who necessarily like, ah, it's not something I necessarily want for my kids. But when they show interest, I'm like, well, if you're going to do it anyways, I'd rather you learn what I've learned and know the people I know so I can help you as best as I'm able to, as opposed to you stumbling through in the same way as I did. Yeah, for me it was slightly different. Okay, but 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 somewhat similar. Um, you know, Garrett grew up around the business of professional wrestling. I right. was, you know, when we moved to Atlanta, Georgia, when I went to work for Ted Turner, Turner Broadcasting, to run World Championship Wrestling. You know, uh, let's see, that would have been '92, so Garrett would have been eight years old. Okay. So by the time, you know, Garrett's eight, which is like peak, you know, wrestling interest age, that's right. when it really starts. Um, <clears throat> he, 
Garrett was coming to the office with me. You know, he knew all all my employees, a lot of the people in the office, you know, by their first names. And he'd spend all day, you know, if if he wasn't in school, he'd spend all afternoon walking around saying hello to a hundred people that work for me. <laughs> and and when I when I'd go to an event, produce a wrestling event, whether it was a big pay per view or we were down at the Disney MGM Studios in Florida, you know, shooting you know weeks of television at a time, I would bring my family down, and Garrett would be backstage with all the wrestlers um from the time he was 8 10 12 years old so he had been around it all of his life <clears throat> i never really talked to him you know when he was 12 14 16 even 17 or 18 i never really had a conversation with him that sounded something like hey garrett have you ever thought about getting in a wrestling business nor had he ever come to me during that time okay. and said hey dad i'm you know someday i'd like to do this right that that conversation never took place. Okay. And it wasn't until much later, uh, actually, you know, like around 2009, I think, or 2010, I think it was around 2009, Garrett came to me and said, okay, Dad, I, you know, I want to get in the wrestling business. And I, I, I tried to talk him out of it. This yeah. is where I, I probably sound a little different than, you know, other folks you may have talked to. But I, I dissuaded him from from doing it. Um by not by painting a horrible picture right. or being negative or or not necessarily being supportive that would have been horrible sure and, and ineffective um but actually it would have made him go the opposite right. way for sure <laughs> yeah but <laughs> but um by saying look here's the situation you know you're 20 some years old and you want to break into a business that takes 10, 12, 14, 15 years to get good at. Right. That's what I was going to ask it, was how, how old was he? Okay. So 20. Okay. No, he was, he was well past his early twenties. Gotcha. So I'm thinking, so I said, now Garrett, that's like the prime time of, sure. of your life as a young working person. And that's where you really lay the foundation you know, for the direction you're going, you can still bop around and experiment a little bit, but that's got to be your kind of your, you got to have a plan. Right. As opposed to getting into a business where only maybe one half of the top 1% um, ever really make enough money to call it a living. Right. And, and the other 99.9% or 99.5% don't. And by the way, after you've spent 10 or 12 or 15 years trying to get to that you know, almost unattainable spot. And by the way, I think the the odds are the same for music yep. as it is to be an actor or an actress yep. or an opera singer or right. you know, a, da a dancer, right. you, you, you name it. Yeah. Um, the, whatever it is, it's the odds of really making it to the point where you can make a great living in the entertainment business or even a good living consistently is slim. Right. So I, I laid all that on and I said, now to make matters worse, Garrett, there's only one place to work. Now, this is after WCW is gone. WWE is the only game in town. I said, there's only one employer. Right. You know, you, you, you want to enter into a career um, where your only option is to work for the only company in that business. So that makes the odds even more difficult. Yeah. yeah. And I know, oh, by the way, your last name is Bishop, which means right. half the people love you and half the people hate you. Now right. you're now you've take what little odds you do have and you've just cut them in half. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> so I try to talk him out of it. But you know what? He, he made up his own mind. And when he did, I put him in touch with some people that I knew when it came for him to train. Sure. Um, people that I knew and I trusted, you know, were ultra professional. Um, and then, you know, as I got, I was involved with, you know, a wrestling company called TNA at the time. And because of who I am and my role there, I was able to facilitate an opportunity for him that he probably would have not otherwise been able to get. Sure. He knew it. I knew it. And we we're both grateful for it. Uh, but then he, he did his thing and he did it long enough to say he got to work with his dad he did it long enough to say that he got to wrestle with Hulk Hogan and Sting and Kurt Angle and Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy and AJ Styles yeah. and Samoa Joe um, and Ric Flair. So he, he accomplished a lot in a short period of time. Yeah. And then I think I'm so proud of him for doing it. He realized I was right. <laughs> and he kind of got out of that, got on, onto a great career path and is doing great. Okay. That was going to be my follow-up question is, is he still in wrestling? But, uh, but yeah, you answer that. So, and that's just, but what a, what a great experience though, to like, you know, you, 
he's able to go and and work with and see a lot of the guys that he saw in years past and be able to do that alongside you. I bet that was a really great memory for you. Do you have a specific favorite memory out of that run that was that you're excited about? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it, this is going to sound really like bizarre to your audience. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, for me, it was, it was really, really, for him, it was cool. And I can only imagine what that felt like for him because my son and I and my daughter and I we are extremely close sure to this day they're in their you know early 30s and we talk on a my my wife talks to my daughter on a nightly basis and I speak to Garrett probably four or five times a week and I see him once every other month so we're still tighter than tight right but um I I'm sorry, I forgot where I was going with that. No, it's okay. <laughs> Your favorite moment or or of that run. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, the yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. So we're talking about wrestling. Um, but my favorite moment with him was the last time I was going to be on television. I was tired of being on television. I think my 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 character had been overexposed, and the audience was as tired of it as I was tired of doing it. So I kind of wrote myself off of TV. But rather than just writing myself off TV because I was involved in a storyline with my son Garrett, I had to kind of make it make television sense. Yeah. So we ended up having a match, and my son, you know, just beat me all over the ring, beat me like a rag doll, and then threw me inside of a porta potty, <laughs> and and then tipped the porta potty over. Now, this is all for television, right. right? This is for TV. So on television, your your camera's seeing you know this guy dragging his father into a big commercial blue porta potty, yeah. and he threw me in the porta potty, locked the door, and then tipped it over. <laughs> and of course, I came out covered in all yeah. kinds of undesirable things. And that was the last time I was seen on television until I went to the WWE. And my son got to do it. So I was really proud of that moment. (laughs) That's awesome. It's cool that you were able to have that great of an angle with your son. And then he was able to kind of help in your uh, TV career uh, in in such a memorable fashion. (laughs) It was a lot of fun. (laughs) That's awesome. Now, you were back. uh, You mentioned back on TV. You were back on TV for the Raw anniversary, correct? With all the other former general managers? Yeah, I think that was... Yeah. Well, I did the uh, Hall of Fame event. Oh, that's right. Uh, the year before that, you know, and I've done a few little things with them on the network, with the WWE on the network. And a couple of years ago, they did a, a documentary about me or a biography, I guess is a better way to say it. Um, and that they just did that a couple of years ago. But I, I go back and do things for for the network once in a while. And then Monday Night Raw. Yeah. This past January uh, was the first time I think I've been on WWE television in a long time. That was the first time I remembered. I mean, I, I don't watch uh, current wrestling, uh, but I tuned into Raw because I saw you were going to be back on there. And that was the last time that I saw you on TV was uh, was Raw many moons ago. So, uh, but yeah, that would, uh, I believe you are correct with that. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to ask from, we actually had a listener question from uh, cliff shaw uh so yes it's from my dad he uh he wanted to know how did you manage your parenting duties with so much travel because what was the travel schedule like for for you i is it like some 200 and something dates out of the year or what was it like for you specifically no i had it a lot easier than wrestlers because wrestlers are on the road you know when business is good I'll just talk about WCW. Um, right. When we were really running hard in 96, 97, most of 98, um, you know, we were running 200 shows a year. That didn't include television. Right. You know, you, you got another 150 televisions a year. And you don't use the same talent on every show. But at that point, you know, for a wrestler, they're on the road easily 200 days a year. In WWE, upwards of 300 plus days a year as a, as a talent. And that's 365 days a year, year after year after year. So, and that's another reason I wanted to talk Garrett out of getting into the business because I knew he really wanted to have a family Yeah, and being a, being a wrestler in WWE and having a family, especially a young family, real challenge. Yeah. But for me as an executive, 
you know, I, I had to travel every either Sunday morning or leave early Monday morning, fly out to Nitro. Most often I had a private jet that would fly me home that same night. Okay. If not, I would spend the night, come back Tuesday. Okay. And I'd be in the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and most of Friday. And then I would probably end up having to go out of town just about every weekend. Okay. And, you know, for business. And oh, by the way, during the week, some of those days, that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I was flying back and forth to LA. So the answer to the question, I didn't have it as hard as wrestlers sure. do, but for me, I I was home enough, but I was working from six o'clock in the morning till ten o'clock at night quite often. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. So I know uh, what was what was the because every family and every every uh, husband and wife uh, every dynamic is different so what were were there any uh or where was the question oh my goodness uh lost my train of thought uh yeah like me yeah i know right <laughs> no uh uh oh here it is uh so at the so in that time that you're talking about the height of the popularity and business responsibilities with World Championship Wrestling WCW, how were you able to balance a successful co-parenting dynamic with your wife? What were some of the tips or routines that you guys used to uh, be able to to get it both done? This I this is where I got so lucky, and I I mean I mean really yeah I don't mean that in, like in a romantic way right I mean that like in a literal sense of the term lucky way. Um, my wife is, you know, she's not a saint, but I don't know how much closer you can get without <laughs> getting the call from the Pope. Um, <laughs> she's really, and she always has been, you know, she's very, very patient. You know, she understands the way I think and the way I react and how that's different than the way she thinks and she reacts, but it all fits together because she wants it to. Sure. <laughs> and it, and she gets what she wants. Right. In, in, in such an artful, almost, you know, Merlin the magician kind of way. But um, we, we balanced each other. You know, she, we made a decision, you know, this is going to be, you know, so in politi- unpolitically correct, just probably going to get you heat. But oh, that's okay. <laughs> we made a decision early on, like immediately yeah. when, when we found out Lori was pregnant with Garrett. Um, what are we going to do? Well, you're going to be a stay-at-home mom. Gotcha. We can't we can't raise this kid by remote control or by surrogate. We can't. Maybe yeah. other people can. I'm not, I'm not passing judgment sure. on anybody else. Sure. But we knew for us, based on what we believed, and when I say we, we believed, I don't mean you know religiously or ethically or morally. We just both really believed that if you want your kids to turn out healthy, you've got to really invest the time in them. Right. And you can't shuttle them around. So that was our personal choice based on perhaps our flaws. Um, we, we didn't think we were capable of doing it any other way than the way we chose to do it. So we did. And once you make that decision and that commitment and you want to, all of a sudden you start accommodating each other because my, my challenges were different than her challenges. And you just start recognizing each other's challenges as you're trying to overcome your own right. and you, you keep moving forward and it just worked. It just worked. Yep. Um, fortunately we both, you know, we felt the same way about so many of the really big things, discipline. You know, I never laid a finger on my kid. Now I came from, you know, when I was growing up, it was a kind of a different deal. It was, you know, the fifties right. and the sixties. Yeah. Kids got treated differently then, but, um, at least I did. Right. And, and, Neither of us have ever laid a hand on either of our kids. In fact, to this day, um, my kids can't stand to get that serious dad look. The dad stare. And and when and when and when they were like four or five or six, and the dad stare came out, that's not, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but again, but again, not because they were afraid of me. Right. Not because they were afraid. There was nothing to be afraid of. I never laid a hand on them. I never raised my voice to them, really, unless I had to be louder than them in the moment. Like, hey, put down the television remote. Right. (laughs) But um, the that look when they knew that you're serious, or I think what it really is, they know that you're disappointed, and if they really love you and respect you, that's the look they don't want to see. Right. 
they would rather see anger than disappointment. Yep. And I think that's the level of, you know, now I say control, but respect we had with our kids so that you didn't have to smack them. Right. You didn't have to. We, we just didn't. We, we believed in so much of that. You know, nutrition. Yep. Another thing, you know, is really important to both of us. And even back then, we were very organic driven. We were, we were making sure that we could get sugar out of our life in every way possible yeah, and in ways that we didn't even know existed at the time. Right. Um, a lot of that kind of stuff we were on the same page about. So it really was, I hate to say it, sound like a jackass, but <laughs> for, for, for us, it was actually pretty easy. That's awesome to hear, though, because it's you hear a wide variety of stories, and one of the things I think our listeners take great uh, comfort in knowing is being able to hear different parenting styles, being able to hear different journeys to be able to understand, okay, there's always a different way of doing it, and maybe the way I'm doing it's not working, but here's a, here's a way that works for some people, and it gives people hope and gives them encouragement, which is what we're all about here. Uh, now, I want to take a, just a brief moment to thank today's sponsors. Uh, first off, I've got Rebel Riot Printing. Say goodbye to setup fees with direct-to-garment printing. Located right here in Dallas, Texas, Rebel Riot offers blazing fast turnaround, full-color images, and no minimums. With prices starting at $18.50 for one shirt, or you can take advantage of this great offer by ordering 10 shirts for $100. That's 10 shirts with a full-color direct-to-garment print with no setup fees and 24-hour turnaround. Just make sure to mention Detox when you order. Go to rebelrietprinting.com to start your order today and by Bitsbox. Bitsbox is a crazy fun subscription box that teaches kids how to code. Bitsbox is a physical box full of app projects that ships in the mail once a month, teaching kids ages 6 to 14 to build to build real apps with real code for real devices. Coding with Bitsbox is not about raising your kid to become a programmer in their career. This is a skill kids should learn regardless of whether they want to be doctors, artists, or professional wrestlers when they grow up. Use promo code DETOX to get $20 off any subscription order of $50 or above. That's promo code DTALKS at bitsbox.com. All right, Mr. Bischoff. Uh, Mr. Bischoff, Eric, no, wait, what do you before prefer? Before we go on, yeah. I, I think I want to check into one of those Bitsbox for myself. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I can send I mean, you one I in the mail. I think cool as hell. Yeah. How many people that are going to be listening to this understand how to code? I don't. I'll just be real either. frank. <laughs> it's uh, and, and, yeah. and I don't know anybody that does. Yeah. <laughs> so forget about kids eight to fourteen. <laughs> I'm sixty three. I'm ordering mine with your promo code. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, and if you know of anybody or you would like an additional one, we do have a couple of copies of Bits boxes here that we can send to you as well. So uh, they've been good to us, and so we want to be able to spread the word because they are a really cool company. Uh, I'm digging it. Yeah. I can't wait. All right. I'm excited. Thank you, sir. Uh, yeah. Um, it's no, uh, you know, I know you guys have Blue Chew as your sponsor, so it's no Blue Chew, but, uh, but it gets the job done. Um, <laughs> um, not touching it, not touching it. <laughs> fair enough. Okay. Uh, moving on. One, uh, another question I had for you was, uh, I know you've talked about, uh, you've talked about things were pretty easy. And I remember hearing recently on your podcast, 83 weeks, where you talked about your experience in the AWA Federation and how things were pretty tough at certain aspects where, you know, you had to make hard financial decisions for your family and you were hoping that the hard work you were putting in was going to end up paying off, which it did. It absolutely did. But when you're in that moment, my question for you, because I know for me as a father, it's a, it's not the same situation that you were in, but it's a, you know, it's all, I think it's always a question that you struggle with as a father of, am I doing the best I can for my kids? And am I, am I proceeding in a way that's going to, that I feel is beneficial? So to that, to the, that being said, I want to ask what is, what was kind of your mindset when things were at maybe the, the hardest part when you were in the AWA before things started taking a turn, what was the hardest struggles you had to overcome from a parenting perspective? Again, I'm going to sound like such a jackass for saying <laughs> this, but we, we didn't have any issues in that regard. I mean, let me, you know, paint the picture for your listeners who don't know me. You know, my wife and I were living in, um, Prior Lake, Minnesota. It was a small town outside of about 40 miles outside of Minneapolis. Okay. We lived in a home with propane heat. 
which is a big tank that they come out and fill once every two or three months with liquid propane. Yep. Um, and, and that's how you heat your house. And in Minnesota, where it gets down to 20, 30, 40, 50 degrees below zero um, on a regular basis, many winters, you know, you need to have really, really good heating for your home. It got so bad for me for a period of time when I was working in AWA because they didn't have any money to pay us. You know, we, I, we were, I was, I was working because I was loyal because I wanted to stay in the business I was in. And I just knew I had to somehow find a way to get through it. Right. Um, but at home, um, I was in bankruptcy. I had, um, car dealers, finance companies coming out and, you know, hooking up the cars in my driveway. Mm. Um, we got it got so bad uh, for a period of time in the winter time um, where I didn't ha I couldn't afford any propane because it cost like three or four hundred dollars to fill up the propane tank at a time, and I didn't have the money to do it, so I didn't have any propane heat and I had to heat my house with kerosene lanterns mm. with two little kids, right? And which is scary enough in itself from just from a fire hazard issue, but just the fact. And by the way, it's not easy to to, to heat a house in Minnesota in January. With I don't care how many kerosene lanterns you have, right? But that's that's what we had to do. Uh, you know, got to the point where, you know, hot dogs with the rice is kind of a big deal, right? So you know, yeah. w whether it's rice or noodles or whatever, and that's not exaggerating. Yeah. You know, it's just it's what it is. I went, I wasn't making that much money to begin with. I I had a, a mortgage on a house that I probably was a little more than I could, should have afforded. And the guy that I was working for hadn't paid me for six months. And yeah. you got to make a decision. You know, do I bail and go take care of this as best I can? Or do I stick it out because that's what I believe in? Now, there's a lot of negative stuff that comes along with making the choice I made to stick with it. But none of it had anything to do with parenting. None of it had anything to do with the relationship I had with my wife. None of it had anything to do with the relationship I had with my kids. And believe it or not, it didn't have anything to do with the relationship I had with my happiness. Yeah. I was happy as hell. I mean, I, I was uncomfortable as hell. Right. But you can be uncomfortable and be happy at the same time. It's not, you know, a it's binary choice. Right. And yeah, it was painful. Yes, it was. I was, you know, I, I wasn't fearful because I've always had a lot of confidence in myself, uh, sometimes too much, but <laughs> you know, lack, you know, lack of confidence has never been something I've been afflicted with. <laughs> sure. But, but still, you got to get through it, you know. But it never affected any of my relationships, or like I said, our happiness. Some of the, some of the most fun times that I reflect back on. Oh gosh, remember when we did this? Same thing. It's the little things that we did when we had no bread. Right. Yeah, that's. Uh, I I just I'm glad you stated that because it was something where when I was listening to your show and it, you know, I'm. I'm not uh, I'm not bashful. I listen to it uh, ever since I discovered it. I made my way through, and so I regularly listen. But uh, but when you were telling that story about being involved with the AWA and having that home, it just it really I don't know it 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 struck a chord within me. Is it something that I know my family uh, my when I was growing up had to go through, and it was it, it really spoke to me on a on a bunch of different levels. And so I just thank you for sharing that anecdote. It, it means a lot, for sure. No. Oh. I'm glad. I'm glad. Thank you very much for saying that. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, since I know that things were a little bit easier for you with regards to, uh, as you mentioned, family and, and your relationship with your wife, were there ever any instances where other other people that you worked with came to you for parenting advice, uh, trying to deal with maybe the tra crazy travel schedule if they were performers or just, you know, like, hey, I'm struggling at home. Did anybody ever seek you out for parenting advice in any way, shape or form? No, never. And I think part of that is um, I don't give off that vibe. Sure, I got you. <laughs> like, hey, hey, come talk to me. You know, I'm 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 a happy guy or whatever. And you know, you know, I'm I just and I don't. It's not that I don't. I wouldn't. I mean, I would love it if somebody came up to me and said, "Hey, you know, I've been watching you and your wife and your kids for a while, and how'd you do that?" Or right. if you were me, what would you do in this situation? I think that'd be cool, but I don't think people look at me from a distance and go, hey, I think I'm going to go talk to this guy about that. Right. <laughs> fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> but um, – and you know what? At the time, again, here comes the jackass. <laughs> I, I, I was so lucky and it was so easy that you don't really understand why. Sure. 
it was so easy until way after. I, I'm much more in tune with why everything worked out as great as it did for me um, now than I would have been 10 years ago, 15 years ago, or certainly when the kids were young. Right. Because it just – it for us, it happened. It happened as a result of, you know, really fortunate, you know, alignment in terms of what our belief systems were and how we wanted to raise our kids and what was the most important, our priorities and all that kind of stuff. There was no just, and that's just luck. That was just, you know, by the grace of God, literally that happens for a reason. Right. Uh, but, um, it, I don't know. I just, for me to have tried to explain that to somebody 10 or 15 years ago, they probably would have looked at me like I was nuts. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I want to pivot a little bit to an uh, excellent TED Talk that you just recently gave, not too, uh, I believe it was last month uh, in November. And, and you specifically spoke about how pro wrestling and the news are basically the same in that they make you feel something. They make you feel angry or they make you feel excited, but they're making you feel as opposed to to think, and a lot of that stems from the fact that you had mentioned that business is good. If people uh, take professional wrestling as an example, if people are booing the the heck out of you or cheering you, they're feeling something, and that's good for business. In the same way with news, I know you talked about CNN was created to do 24-hour international news, but people realize they, it's a lot cheaper to have different talking heads talking about things either good or bad to make you feel a certain way, so you keep tuning in. And so I want you to to uh, for those that may have not seen and, and I and our listeners take us through kind of what was your uh, how did you the origin story of how you kind of came about creating that TED talk why this specifically you felt was the message you wanted to send in and what do you see do you see maybe a way out or, or uh, just a way for people to get through because it's what divides us is something that we've covered a couple of times on on this show it's just like it feels like everybody's in an echo chamber and i think to your point it's this exact reason and that people are being validated by what they feel instead of taking the time to break bread with people talk through issues and and really uh, get through everything so that's a long windy way of just saying uh t take us through the ted talk uh, um all ears <laughs> It, you know, it started um, around midsummer last summer. I, I got a call from uh, through a mutual friend. I got a call from the gentleman who um, um, produces the TED Talk in Naperville, or TEDx, I should say, talk in Naperville, Illinois. And I, I knew generally what TED Talks were. I mean, right. I, you know, I had probably seen, you know, a clip of one or maybe watched a couple minutes of another, but I wasn't like a hardcore TED Talk junkie right I, I was just aware of them my wife on the other hand is probably you know the latter she's a she's a hardcore you know ted talk person she loves that kind of stuff and she aspires to be a public speaker and so for her ted talks are like a really big deal for me it was just something that's floating around out there that people do sure um i, I assign no value to it but because it was a friend of a friend and because I thought about it, I thought, you know, that's something I've never done before. Right. You know, I've done a million wrestling shows and spent, you know, 30 years on camera and done a lot of stuff. But I've never done that. And I, I, I always believe that finding a new way to exercise a new muscle is a great way to get everything else in shape. Right. So, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to quit doing push-ups that way and I'm going to do push-ups this way once and see how that works. Right. And I, I said, sure, I'll do it. And it, you know, and through the process of, of his name is Arthur Zards, Arthur calling me and, you know, trying to give me ideas or at least hear what I might be thinking about and then talking through that. What became obvious in our conversations is that I'm, I'm very aware and almost, you know, somewhat addicted to current events, sure. primarily politics, but current events in general across the board. Right. Have been since I was in the eighth grade, since Martin Luther Jr. was Jr. was king. Excuse, excuse me. Martin Luther King Jr. was killed. Right. And my teacher, Mrs. Fields at the time, who taught me history and current events, took us to the Henry Ford Museum in Greenfield, Detroit. And we got to, as a part of the overall kind of approach to teaching current events, using um, 
Martin Luther King's assassination as the premise for the, the syllabus, if you will, um, she she took us to the museum to see the chair that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated in. Oh, wow. To try and draw the correlation between yeah. civil rights and in history. And that made such a, as you can tell, the fact that I can remember that, right. um, made a big impression on me. And yep. from that point forward is where my interest in politics and, and, and history really kind of convened. Anyway, fast forward. I found myself talking to this producer of TED Talks um, and talking really about politics and how it's just like my business. Because yeah. it is. And I've noticed that, especially over the last three or four years, five sure. years. But predominantly so because i've always watched the news i've always followed it closely and i i saw four or five years ago this shift in the way the product was being presented notice i didn't call it news because it wasn't news right they were they were boxing and shipping out emotion yeah they wanted to keep you angry they wanted to get your heart rate up you know whether you're excited because something really wonderful is happening to you. Guess what happens to your heart? Your heart rate goes up. Yep. If you're really, really angry or you're really, really scared, guess what happens? Your heart rate goes up. Your body becomes addicted. You know, it almost it's like adrenaline. Yeah. And and if if someone can get your heart rate up, either in a good way or a bad way, they got your attention. Mm -hmm. And that's what the news does now. It, 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 the hypocrisy is so rich on both sides of the equation. This is a non or a bipartisan issue. Right. It's across the board. It's it's so venomous and so much a part of what our information culture or excuse me entertainment culture has now become mm -hmm. because news is nothing more than entertainment. Yeah. The people that you see on the news are not journalists for the most part. A few are. Most aren't. Most of the ones that get most of the airtime aren't. They're, they have opinions, just like you do, just like I do. But they're very good at being the good guy. Right. And they're very good, necessarily, at being the bad guy. And, and it's just like wrestling. And here is the, 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 where I brought it together is I gave an example I, instead of going out and doing this TED Talk, and by the way, I'm going to tell you another really quick anecdote about this. I had this TED Talk planned out. Like, like I said, they called me in July. I didn't have to do it till November 10th. I had plenty of time to do it, right? And I'm I'm the most horrible procrastinator on the planet. <laughs> and, I, and I don't like to plan out speeches or rehearse too much. I mean, I, I like to improv a lot. That's what I'm best at. Sure. And I know that. That's my strength. I can memorize a script if I need to, but I – it doesn't come off quite as good. Right. So I'm, you know, I put it off, I put it off, put it off. So finally, like two days before I'm supposed to leave to Chicago, I grab my iPad, I start hammering it out. I'm trying to come up with my 20 minute or 18 minute TED talk. Fast forward, I'm on my way to Chicago. I still don't have it done because I procrastinate. <laughs> I'm I'm on a flight that gets me into Chicago about 1230 at night or 1230 in the morning. I'm working, I'm working, I'm working because the very next day I've got to do this TED Talk. And then I, I, I said, you know, I'm just going to close my eyes for a minute, put my iPad in the front you know, compartment of the seat in front of me, and I fell asleep for a minute that took an hour and a half. <laughs> Boom, the plane lands. I'm, you know, I wake up and go, what the heck? I, I didn't realize I'd been asleep that long. And the people are scrambling. Everybody wants to grab their stuff, get off the plane, including me. So I grab my bag and then get all boom, I'm out. I get to my hotel room. I go to I set my alarm for five o'clock in the morning so I can finish what I should have finished months ago. And I go to sleep. I, my alarm gets off, wakes up, wakes me up. I reach in my briefcase for my iPad, and guess what? Oh, I left no. it on the airplane. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I fell asleep. I forgot that I put it in the oh. seat in front of me. And when I woke up, when we touched down, it was such a mad scramble, and I was still, you know, half asleep. I forgot. Right. And I left it. So now it's now it's five thirty in the morning. I know I'm not going to get my iPad back. What do I do? Yeah. Huh. I'll improv. <laughs> so I improv the whole thing. And part of that improv that I didn't know I was going to do was when I came out in the for the first four or five minutes of that TED talk, and I in the wrestling business they called going heel. I I just went out and just 
was horrible to the audience. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> I, 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 I was angry. I was aggressive. I disrespected him. I made fun of him. I told him the town they lived in sucked. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I accused some guy sitting in, on the front row wanting to come up and beat me up. And then I looked at his wife and I accused her of looking at me like she wanted to take me to my hotel room after the TED Talk. <laughs> I mean, I did, I did everything I could to make them hate me. And then when it got to the point where I couldn't make them hate me anymore, I busted out laughing and said, okay, here's why I did that. And then I went on to prove my point right. that in professional wrestling, you do what I just, what I just described. You go out, you, you say things and you do things that you know are going to make the audience angry because you want them to want to see you get your butt kicked eventually. Right. That's right. how it works. Well, I, I realized a while ago that television does the same thing. If, if, MSNBC wants to increase their ratings and draw more advertisers to their product, uh, then they're going to have to do what it takes to get that audience to come and watch them. Yep. And in the case of MSNBC, I think it's you know not even arguable that they're an extremely left wing of the Democratic Party's PR firms. Right. It just is what it is. Sure. And then on the other side, you've got Fox News. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that do essentially the same thing. Right. But each of them have to do what they have to do to build their audience and compete. And what they have to do is entertain them and make them angry. Yep. And if they can entertain them and make them angry, they've got them and business will be good. That's very good. All right, Mr. Bishop, we've got uh, we have a a couple listener questions I wanted to hit you up before we start wrapping this up uh, at the underscore Gabriel underscore Mangum on Instagram. He is we've had his dad on the show before Andrew. He's a uh, uh, Gabriel is a fantastic artist and he's always shown wearing different wrestler gear on Instagram. So he saw that he, you were going to be on the show and he said, oh, I got to ask him who does Eric Bischoff think had the most underrated run in WCW. Ernest, the cat Miller. Nice. Why specifically? Um, because Ernest got into the wrestling business very late in life. Ernest, you know, was a standout high school athlete, collegiate athlete, played in the NFL, um, phenomenal martial artist, accomplished all that, and a few years later decided to get into professional wrestling, which most people do at the age of 20, 21, 22. Right. So uh, he got in very late. He had very little training very little guidance and i think he emerged as one of the you know middle to top side of the of the roster uh kind of a character because he had such phenomenal talent and amazing ability to read an audience yeah his charisma was off the charts it was off the charts and see that's the thing is you can't teach that no you know you can teach people the the moves in the ring you can right. teach people you know to a degree, the psychology of what goes into telling a story inside of a wrestling ring, although that's becoming a lost art too. Sure. But um, you can't teach somebody charisma. It's yep. like you're either born with with you know an ability to be really good at music, or you're not. Yeah. I, and I'm living proof. I've been trying for 62 of my 63 years to learn how to play a guitar, and I couldn't hit three chords in a row to save my life right now. Yeah. And I've taken lessons. I've tried to do it yourself. I tried the home video. I bought some stuff on a 1-900 line once. Um, I took real lessons from a real live person that really knew how to play guitar. None of it worked. I just yeah. suck. Yeah. I'm not good at music. <laughs> but... <laughs> But when you find somebody like Ernest, who just is naturally gifted with that kind of charisma, if he would have come along five years sooner, I think he would have been one of the top stars in the business. Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. Uh, awesome. Very cool. Uh, Gabriel had a follow-up question I hesitated to ask you because I I know your feelings on it before, but I'm going to go ahead and ask you. Uh, he wants to know, what are your thoughts on the Ultimate Warrior? That's a little um, bit of a loaded question. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's that's a big question. One of my thoughts, <laughs> I have a tremendous. I'm, right. I, in all seriousness, I, you know, he's a man that died way too young. Yeah. Um, I, I worked with Warrior, and um, here's what I'll tell you about him from my perspective. Uh, I have never met a more passionate uh, person, yeah, man, woman, or child, who was more passionate or as passionate even 
about their character and the vision they saw for that character okay. and the business and storytelling uh, as as Warrior was. He loved it. He was he immersed himself in it. I think probably 24 hours a day. Um, was he a unique cat? Absolutely. Was he <laughs> difficult to t- I mean, not in a bad way. Sure. Yeah. I mean, people that are that artistic. I don't care if it's music or, or, or fine art or ballet or whatever it is, when you are that passionate about your art, you know, where, where you're kind of like a borderline genius, right? Um, you're, you're a little bit wacky. Yeah, that's true. Uh, in, in, in other parts of your life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You're probably not the one that anybody's going to call up and say, hey, buddy of mine's having a stag party. Right. <laughs> Want to go? <laughs> Can you see him running in the room and shaking the, the furniture, like the ropes? <laughs> yeah. Or, or hey, right. you know, so yeah. he was very, very unique. He was difficult to work with because he was unique. Not because sure. he was a bad guy. Sure. Not because he was disrespectful, but because he just had this vision that was so powerful that if you tried to talk to him about anything that wasn't really in line with his vision of his vision, then – um, you know, it was a challenge, Yeah. but he was a nice guy. He was a respectful guy and I can't help but admire somebody that had that much passion for their, for their work or their life. Yeah. That's a good point. Thank you so much. Uh, it's now the time of the show. We're getting to wrap up, but we always like to throw some dad jokes at our guests here towards the end. Uh, do you have any dad jokes available? I am the unfunniest person you've ever met in your life. That's okay. That's okay. I got some. If somebody somebody broke into my house right now, put a gun to my head and said, look, either you tell me a joke right now or I'm going to pull the trigger, this would be my last podcast. Right. Well, luckily, I'll give you some that you can have in uh, in your repertoire. Um, I'll forget them by – I'll forget right. them Fair enough. Fair That's enough. why I don't have any. Fair People enough. People tell me jokes all the time. I can't remember them. It's okay. It drives me nuts. <laughs> okay. Uh, Eric, how can you tell if an ant is a boy or a girl? I don't know. They're all girls. Otherwise, they'd be uncles. Dude, that's horrible. <laughs> it's pretty bad, right? It's pretty bad. Okay, I'm a, I was writing that down. I'm going to try to remember. I, I was literally writing it down. I've got shorthand. I'm going to go down and tell that to my wife. I've got, I've got two more for you. Uh, I've got a wrestling-themed one for you. Um, uh, Eric, what do you call Dwayne Johnson's wrestling career? Classic rock. Oh, classic <laughs> uh, all right all right i got one last one for you this is one that's uh a fav- I like the first one better yeah <laughs> fair enough i've got uh, this last one it's been a favorite of uh ours a couple times i've told it to people but uh uh eric how did the dairy queen get pregnant <laughs> the burger king forgot <laughs> to wrap his whopper <laughs> uh, okay, hold on Say that again. Okay. The king forgot. The Burger to King forgot to wrap his rock. whopper. Okay, I got it. Yep. I'll tell that one to my son. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Very cool. All right. Well, Mr. Bischoff, Eric, thank you so much. If people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what is the best way for them to do that? Uh, the best way is Twitter. I'm at E Bischoff. B I S C H O F as in Frank. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, otherwise, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, every week I'm on uh, at 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff, wherever you download your favorite I, I, uh, podcast. Perfect. Your, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, you name it. There you go. And uh, your wife has a podcast. Is that correct? Yes. Talk, here's a perfect example of how opposites <laughs> attract. Listen to my podcast on 83 Weeks. And then go listen to my wife's. <laughs> and when I tell you, when I when I, I've just spent the last hour telling you how easy our relationship was and how well it fit together and how perfect our, you know, it's almost embarrassing to really talk about and be honest. It's like sometimes we say, God, we sh- should we should we make it up, and, you know, make up something and say we had a big fight and we had we were separated for you know a month. Eh, nah. <laughs> <laughs> But when you listen to her podcast and you listen to mine, you would think we we live on two different planets. Right. Yeah. Her podcast is called uh, We're Talking I.N. Shift. Perfect. 
And we will put links to all of this in the show notes for you listeners. If you want to go listen to Eric or Lori's podcast or you want to follow them, we've got all that there. Uh, so, yeah, we need a hashtag for this episode. Eric, would you prefer hashtag dad stare or hashtag here comes the jackass? Here comes the jackass. All right. <laughs> that is our hashtag. All right. Well, listeners, until next time, hashtag here comes the jackass and hashtag be a better dad. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at detoxpodcast or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W.com.